Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. This is Hobbs Q here, pronouns he, him. And um, before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to kind of say a couple of things, make a couple of announcements. Um, so we are just leaving the month of September. You know, this episode will be posted the first week of October, uh, hopefully, assuming life does not throw curveballs, which is one of the things that has been happening lately. Um, so September was Suicide Prevention, Suicide Awareness Month, and those resources, we keep those in our show notes all year long. And those are things that are always in our show notes, uh, mental health resources, and just a lot of the stuff for both NAMI and for crisis lines and mental health uh, warm lines. So wanted to remind people that, the you know, just because we are leaving the month of September doesn't mean that that isn't a topic that is still, you know, that I always say, I like having the months to help us focus mental health month and suicide prevention month and, you know, LGBT and whatever. And, you know, it's nice to have these months as they've been designated but these are also just not topics that we think are, you know, relegated to any specific month. We just may add a little bit more focus to them during that time. Uh, we also want to say thank you to Grinding Coffee Company. We wanted to give a, a shout out to them. Uh, I did not on the last episode, as I as I realized as I was posting it. So uh, that was a bummer because we always want to just give them a shout out. We really appreciate their support um, ongoing, just everything that they've been willing to do for us. Uh, take us on as partners. The mission that they have is a black owned and LGBT ran coffee company. So yes. And you know, we're going to talk about what today's episode is in a moment and kind of just what life's been throwing at us. But Alex, I thought I would let you introduce yourself while we're at this point and yeah. talk about the Fireside Alliance. Yeah. So I'm Alex Newman, found on Twitter um, a little more recently than I have been. I've been taking a big break, but recently I've been poking in there a little bit. Uh, anyway, at um, Mel underscore Chronicler, um, my pronouns are he, him. And yet the Fireside Alliance uh, organization that um, that we're a part of, we try to jut them out every so often and, and let people, let folks know that they're out there. It is a group of content creators kind of on the internet who decided to come together and try to create a good space, um, a good shared space on the internet. They all sort of have their own little uh, social places and discord servers and such and so forth in their communities, but they decided to try to create something together. Um, and so there is a, Fireside Alliance Discord at their website lists kind of all the content creators. We have we have joined that. We are the Goblin Lord Podcast. Is actually, the only magic content creators there. It is a it a group of great folks, though a nice progressive community of progressive communities is one of the ways they like to describe it. And hopefully, at some point, we'll be doing some collaborations with some folks out there. I'll say there's something I have recorded and not yet edited that I wanted to edit myself that we will be getting out at some point. Um, but there's <laughs> not uh, magic related, not magic related. It is still. not magic related, but it was something that it will be the, here. It'll be here. Yeah. Um, um, there's, there was, uh, one of the, one of the folks in, in the fireside, uh, discord, kind of the, the, the chat between all the, the partners, um, threw something out. He wanted to collaborate about something that was not magic related. It had nothing to do with his podcast, but I just said, you know what, this sounds fun. I want to do it. So Goblin Laurel hosted and actually somebody else jumped in. So we've, we've got people from three different fireside uh, uh, podcasts represented in that, that episode. And that'll be fun whenever I get around to finishing the edit on that. But yeah. So that is the fireside Alliance. Just, uh, I think we have a note or uh, in, in our show notes, there's a link if you want to check it out. Um, some great yep. folks there. Yep. We, we, you can find them through our, through us though. Uh, yeah. So this episode is actually a delayed episode in some ways. And by, by delayed, I don't mean that we recorded it and didn't release it. I mean, recently it was Hipsters of the Coast uh, 10th anniversary. And as people know, we talk about the end of our episode every week in our outro. Um, you know, Hipsters has helped us with hosting and supplies and, you know, being giving us a place to be able to have our episodes posted where they will also link them every week. And they sent out a call for you know, people to celebrate their 10th anniversary. And, you know, you could do articles or you could look at top 10 lists or you can do, there was a whole variety of things all around celebrating 10 years of doing magic content. And I'm going to throw out a quote since I've been in the middle of a, doing a reread of Lord of the Rings that 
A wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. So apparently goblins and wizards are basically the same, but maybe for different reasons. Um, because we had the best intentions for getting this out in time for the their, their 10th anniversary um, kind of celebration, which was a couple of weeks ago. And we didn't. Like, we just, we didn't. Um, one of the things that we're going to highlight in this episode, because that is what we're doing today, is going to be top tens of tens of tens. Top ten. Top ten. No. Ten. Unspecified top ten. Unspecified top ten extravaganza. Um, which also highlights... Uh, some differences in, in a way between Alex and I. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I had kind of pitched you, Alex, that like, hey, maybe we should do a top 10. And I think you got back to me like a couple hours later and we're like, hey. Well, yeah. And, and I asked too, is like, because my, my brand had already started working at that point. But even without context, because I was like, so do you want to do a top 10 of a specific thing or are we just going to go pure chaos and say top 10 of anything or everything and being goblins we went pure chaos um and i actually had a preliminary top 10 list that day i will say it has changed since then i i have i have tweaked it um as as some things come to mind or as i run across something i go oh yeah that's that made me think of this and that should go on the list yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, right away, you had at least some initial thoughts, even oh, with yeah. me giving you a prompt of basically open world, we'll say, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, about I, as open a prompt as you could. Top 10? Question top mark? 10? And Question then, mark? I was like, yeah, I got three or four right now. Yeah. On the other hand, so Hobbes being not only Goblin, but somebody who does not do well without structure for being productive or lots of things um is currently formulating his top 10 in his brain um mm -hmm. with the qualifiers that these are not going to be in any order they are going to be 10 things and uh i gave myself a category earlier today uh <laughs> to kind of framework so alex right. like just like ran oh yeah and uh, yeah, and I I've got some context for mine. Mine's a little arbitrary. I'll explain that later. It it, it puts it into a little bit more understanding, but it's it's still going to be mostly chaos. It's arbitrary, but there's a you know the, you obviously gave this <laughs> yes well and, proper and it, thought and attention. And, and there is, and you you say you know you, you kind of struggle without structure. And I think I I have a similar thing, but I like I started to put structures to it pretty quickly it wasn't for a full 10 but it was like okay so then we'll do this and then i'll do some of this and then this might and then it, it kind of evolved from there the, the way i ended up building it kind of evolved from the first few pillars i came up with and i kind of built it around that yeah you, you started actually like kind of you know branching this i i don't know like you started scaffolding of some sort you started mm -hmm. actually like kind yeah. of building a framework around it um scaffolding is a great way to great way to put it that's a term i you use it a lot because it's a great term for, for how to do that. And for some reason, my brain doesn't generally hold on to that. Yeah, that's fair. But it's like, I, so whatever you, whenever it comes up on the cast, you or somebody else mentions it or like, like Chase will say it a lot because you know, a lot of their trading and stuff, but it's like, okay, scaffold. I got to say it two or three times because then maybe <laughs> I'll remember it the next time I want to use that term. So without further ado, Alex, <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to do, we're going to do some top 10, some top 10 of just top 10. Do you top want, 10. Do you want me to start with my number 10? I want you to start with your number 10. Yes. All right. That so, is what I would like at this moment. Um, as, as I warned Hobbs, and I'll, I'll warn all of y'all, there's some cheating involved in my list. But of course there is because I'm a well, goblin. Well, once again. It, it, it wouldn't be... Uh, wouldn't be a goblin if there wasn't cheating involved. So it wouldn't be Alex if there wasn't me. cheating involved. So if you're new to the show, uh, <laughs> Alex is known as um, bending rules and bending. Yes. Even I, when he's the one who imposes some structure, will then like just yeah. I'll I'll come cheat. up with an opening question and then I will not answer that opening question. I will use that as a prompt to lead me to a different question that I wanted to answer. Well, the rest of the guests yeah. and me are all expected to, except that's also not whatever happens. But yeah, 
it gives us something. Wait, it gives us it gives us a place to work from. That's yeah. that's kind of the point. It it gives us some scaffolding to build off of. <laughs> you got to know what the rules are to properly break them. Is exactly. what right? Isn't that what they say about like writing and learning anything? Like oh, yeah. in order to break rules, it, it kind of the, rules are established for a reason in a lot of things. And like just breaking rules for the sake of breaking rules, if you want to be successful at something, is not actually a good strategy. You need to understand the why, right? So you need to have something there to begin with exactly and so now now without any further further ado uh, my number 10 is is actually a two-way tie that was all preempted <laughs> my first cheat because i'll just let you know it's my first cheat <laughs> right the only one but it is a two-way tie uh between these strong and weak nuclear forces <laughs> so <laughs> So these, I wanted to, I wanted to start this list with gravity because I felt gravity was really important. It's, it's, I mean, that's why I'm sitting in this chair right now. It's, it's super important, but gravity is flashy in, in the world of like physics and thermodynamics and forces and all of this, but the strong and weak nuclear forces kind of get missed a lot, I think. And, and, and so I know this is, I'm not going to go deep. But like the strong nuclear force is basically the force that keeps an atom together. Because if, if you know, if you remember like magnets, you know, positive and negative things will like repel each other. Like, like magnetism has things that have charges will repel each other and do funky things. Well, the strong nuclear force is how you keep all the positives in together. In the, sorry, it's not positive and negative that repels. It's positives that repel each other. Anyway, keeps all the keeps all the positive together in the core of the nucleus you know and keeps that cell together that's the strong nuclear force uh and the weak nuclear force is says responsible for radioactive decay of certain nuclei and it's 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 a whole other thing but they're both fundamental forces that kind of keep everything together and i mean there's a whole thing with you know obviously without these things and you know matter we wouldn't have a podcast if 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 i didn't have the matter to have a microphone in front of me. And so this is kind of a kind of a general shout out of that stuff that allows us to do this and allows all of the other things that are higher on the list to also exist. So that's where I'm starting my top 10 hops. Strong okay. and weak nuclear forces. So mine, hilariously, um, I am starting something that cares about the number 10 and also for, for multiple reasons, actually. Um, so I'm going with 10 things I love about Magic the Gathering. So this is a pretty wide open thing, but I think it is because, you know, there is a tendency with social media to focus on kind of hype and outrage. And I think hype and toxic positivity is something that we could talk about. Um, but we also... You, we've talked about this before, the concept of, you know, potentially doing an episode on toxic positivity, like positive for the sake of being positive in a way that's almost like Pollyannish, like things are better than they need to be. Um, but a lot of being online is about focusing on the hype and the outrage and what things people don't like. And I, I think I talk a lot about intentionality and one of the things about like the three good things um, that I've talked about on here on the show before, like doing three good things at night is not to just like try to fake like everything is good or even, you know, pretend that things are great. It's to recognize that there's something that you enjoy or there's something about the day that made it worth it. And that is recognizing that most of us tend to focus on the negative. So I am going with 10 things I love about Magic the Gathering and these are not in order because <laughs> I don't even have 10 of them yet. And um, the first one, though, is the storm mechanic. Uh, I love the storm mechanic. And this is one that is funny because it is, is it, it, it led to the creation of the storm scale, which is mechanics get ranked on a, a one being very unlikely to 10. Sorry, one being very likely, 10 being very unlikely. And this is how likely we are to see a mechanic reprinted and it's named after storm so specifically in a standard set yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so like um, they can yeah. show up in they, in they supplemental sets and, and like like yeah like actually storm has come back mm -hmm. we've seen it in like modern modern yeah, masters but, and there's been some other places but yeah this horizons. isn't a showing up modern horizons thank you modern horizons this is showing up in a standard legal set and Mark Rosewater actually named this 
uh, scale um, on his blog, Blogatog, um, that he owns. And he, you know, it was kind of Storm was the, like, that was the framework for it because yeah, it is a mechanic that is just so busted. He describes it as the most broken mechanic ever printed. And I, I, I mean, I really like that. I liked yeah. a mechanic that's based around trying to play magic in a different way. Right. Yeah. And part of it is oh, the yeah. joke of like storm count and, and ideally <laughs> you, storm count 10 was kind of the gold standard because it, at, the, at the point when the storm decks were storm decks, the, the big payoff for them was tendrils of agony, which is a storm spell that costs four that says, so storm, if people don't know, is a mechanic that copies a spell for every time you've cast a for every spell that you've cast before that in the turn. And so uh, the spell itself deals two damage to an opponent or opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So the idea was it's storm count of 10 led to this idea of like, what's the storm count at? Because 10 copies of, you know, you cast 10 cards, you cast this or nine cards and you cast this, then you would have 10 copies of Tendrils of Agony, which would deal 20 damage to an opponent. You would gain 20 life. And so we get the 10. Is it being my number 10? It is led to a scale um, that is rated from 1 to 10, and 10 copies of it was kind of the gold standard. So boom, storm. Hit lots of 10s in there. That was the goal there. All this this theme is likely not going to continue past this that's that's totally fair um, <laughs> i i can continue part of mine from from 10 to 9 9 is also kind of another cheat but this one is slightly less of a cheat see 10 two two fitting you, into 10 kind of fits is a, is a almost not cheat though because it's if, not. You have, if you have a list of 100 things and two of them tie at 10 you'd go 10 It'd both be ten, and then the next one would be twelve. That's. I was actually just thinking from a list. physics perspective, like the oh, the two concepts are so linked that that's fair. That like I don't think that's a cheat. That's that's fair. Well, this one. Let's see what you think of this. My number nine is the Mass Effect trilogy, specifically the games one, two, and three. Not Andromeda. I don't mind it, but it's not good. Um, the Mass Effects one, two, Mass Effect one in particular is really without question my favorite video game the the vision of the future that that provided well, a, the game in, in general i just enjoyed the, the mechanics of it it's bioware at my favorite version of them good rpg um a little bit of clunky shooting mechanics because they hadn't quite gotten it down but i totally forgave that because i loved their rpg style but then like like i was saying like the vision of the future that it provided is so despite the fact that you are dealing with this threat that is literally threatening all life in the galaxy, like that's the scale of, of the threat that is dealt with in this trilogy. It's still providing this hopeful vision of the future of humanity in the stars, living and working alongside of a whole host of, of alien species all together cooperating in wildly different life forms cooperating together and that vision of the future was one that just always makes me feel better i i know we talk about that a little i've talked about it a little bit on the cast i know with um when we recorded with reinhardt we talked about uh magic and sci-fi we kind of talk about something we liked in sci-fi and for me that's generally i like fantasy stories fantasy tropes fantasy storytelling is is generally where i i live with my my hobbies but one thing that sci-fi can do that fantasy can't is when it can provide a specifically humans from earth somehow survive all of the shit we're doing and dealing with right now and then in the future are now somehow thriving and and cooperating and, and living in 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 a, in a bright future so you know even if there's challenges and difficulties and dark things that we have succeeded so we, in making it to the future i have to admit that that's that once again i don't think that's a cheat at yeah. all taking a trilogy yes. or and, a series because yes. and yeah and this one because the story does run between the three yeah and and also like they did just re uh last year they re released a remastered version of all three as a single game single $60 package if you are interested in those games. If you tried the first one and it's really clunky mechanics uh, pu push you out, there is a better version of it. 
um, in the in the Legendary Edition. If you can find that somewhere, I think it's on Game Pass. So if you have Xbox Game Pass, it's free. I I really like those games. Um, and worst case scenario, you can kind of skip to two. Two is from a gameplay perspective. Two and three are so much better than one. But I love the story of the three and two tells a little bit more of a contained story and three is now we're at the end game like we're dealing with these these aliens three is very much a war story sort of apocalypse on a galactic scale so one is really the one that has that where you get to see that that hopeful future kind of in its in its place before all of the stuff hits the fan for the next couple of games i like it okay yeah that's what i got awesome number nine uh this encompasses something that we call the recency bias squee (laughs) one of my favorite biases (laughs) yes the recency bias that people don't know is just your ability to more like to take things that happened more recently and you know take a bias towards them Uh, this effect even can happen with how people memorize uh lists so if Mm -hmm. you're given a list of words uh, a lot of people you actually have a bias on both ends where you remember kind of the first words and the last words uh Mm -hmm. depending on kind of what strategy you use to remember words mm-hmm. um, because the first words you, you rehearse in your head so while you're waiting for the others you're rehearsing then the recency is you just you have had less chance for those to fall off so recency is gonna tell me that squee is one of my favorite things that i love about magic the gathering but to be fair like while yeah. this is a recency bias for me to think of it, it it's yes. not a recency bias for me to yeah. love it it's just yeah the recency then- is we got story recently you got some good story but you have been talking about squee for years years honestly say years on the podcast oh yeah yeah and and talking about getting you know better story for for sure better representation so i i I, my love of squee is not what's recent the fact that i'm including it it on my list right now Mm -hmm. at number nine is because i remembered recording an episode and i was like damn it's got squee has to be in there and I will say, you know, I guess there could be some recency bias to it, but I think that even without that, you might have had Squee in the top. Squee, Squee possibly would have, because Squee, yeah. Squee embodies just so much. And I can't, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm talking around this one, Alex, mm-hmm. only because you don't yes. know. And uh, yes. by choice, by choice. Yes. This is yeah. a sign that if you haven't listened to our Squee episode, you can go back to. Uh, I did at least allude to Alex not following story but if people don't know alex is not following story during the phyrexian return especially once we had a timeline that it was ramping up and going to be quicker yeah and i can talk to that in a second too if you want to like finish talking about squee a little bit and then i'll before i transition to my next one i'll I'll sure well i mean it's just gonna say that that squee i i I think my key phrase is squee was done dirty and um squee was is not at this point squee uh Squee as a card was a little underwhelming, and I I did talk with that. I did talk about a little bit out on the show, like it was a little underwhelming for what I wanted for a Squee card. Um, the story was not in any way, shape, or form. The story made nods to even like the fact that Squee had been left out of story in some ways, like saying that like he elevated himself. I think I sent you that one quote that he's like telling about himself to another goblin and the other goblin's like, yeah, you know, you know, King, like when you did this, this and this, and he's like, yeah, when I did all of that, (laughs) because he's like, basically like may have elevated some of his role in things, but then he, like it says, because of having been left out of many of the legends that are around about, the weatherlight and the Phyrexians, or the, yeah, just like the weatherlight and all of that saga. So, Squee gets my nod at number nine. Nice. And so, just to, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I know I've talked about it a little bit, but also it's been a while since we've recorded a normal episode where we're just sitting and talking. So, it's, it may have been a while since uh, I, I, I've talked about this, since, since folks have heard about this, but I am trying to not pay attention to the story there's just the way and it's not even the, the Frexian in general i'm not as big a fan of but the the way the story worked sort of the story type and the story beat of of what happened to um Tamio cameo is not there's something about that story type the it, that is very difficult for me like i just have a visceral revulsion to it and it's it's hard for me to i'm still trying to work out kind of where the 
it is. But at the same time, it's like, so I just, I can't really engage with this story right now. You've intentionally um, I, chosen not to. I've intentionally stepped back. Yeah, I, yeah, I've intentionally stepped back. I've I've spoken with you about it. I've spoken with uh, Reinhardt uh, about it, who has been on the show a bunch. Um, he's a he's a good friend of mine. He just happened to he and I just grabbed lunch the other day a couple weeks ago, and so yeah, I just that's just where I'm at. I I'm so someday would if you do return a story once the, the that part has moved on. Mm-hmm. We will we will have a conversation about Squee. Yes, and and I will definitely um, at some point I will catch up on the story too. Like if I'm sitting and kind of reading through some things, I just the sort of sort of Damocles-ness of it just hanging over my head as the story is continuing to to slowly unfold is just stress that I can't. I, I shouldn't say can't. It is stress that I am choosing. You're choosing it not it's to like, engage. And not an avoidance strategy. And yes. like, this is an intentional decision. So yes, the, that magic story is something that I am generally interested in. I think it's a cool thing. But in this case, I, it's something that I don't need to, it's not going to, to hurt the rest of my life to avoid this. I'm going to just step away from it. And it's not a permanent, I have a plan for when I'm coming back and you know, what, what'll happen there. And so that's, so let's move on. We're at there. So we'll move on. To number we'll eight. Number eight. And so to, to lighten the mood, number eight is jokes specifically about things crashing into other things to avenge the dinosaurs. So I don't know if you've seen lately. <laughs> what? But I have nothing. I have nothing. Okay. So, you know, maybe this is just me, but three or four times in the last five years. So the most recent one is, is very recently uh, NASA slammed, um, some object, I think it was a satellite, something into a uh, a meteor. I believe. Yeah, they they meteor. pulled like trying to do like an Armageddon, except they well, flung something instead of like drilled it. But yes. yeah, well, yeah. The point was what they were trying to do is hit it, hit it with an object so that they can science it to see if that changed its trajectory enough that they could use that technique in the future to push objects on a collision course with Earth away from that collision course. So it's all sciencey things that they're doing for science. But that provided an excuse for the wonderful folks on the internet to once again make jokes about us avenging the previous dominant life form on the planet in the dinosaurs who were, as other people who are pedantic reminded us all, killed by a comet. However, um, basically every time, just about every time we slam something into something else out in space, people make this joke. The, the, the best one was, I believe there was a point where there was a satellite that was um, set up, I think this was like four or five years ago, to crash into Saturn. I believe it was Saturn. At first, I was thinking it was Jupiter, and I was talking to my friend Alexander, who knows more about space stuff than me. He's like, no, I don't think it was Jupiter. Anyway, so I think it was Saturn, because part of the point is, like, if you leave stuff in space, it doesn't go anywhere. It just sits there and becomes space trash. So that crashing it into Saturn was our part of our plan to be better, like, space neighbors, I guess, to not leave our garbage all sitting around where it can crash into things and people. But there's a, somebody decided to just take that a whole sort of way and made this big long thing about how Saturn might have been, you know, the might have destabilized the orbit of the comet that, you know, crashed into Earth and killed the dinosaurs. And so despite the fact that it was basically us cleaning up our litter, this person decided to make the joke that us slamming this into Saturn was us getting revenge for the dinosaurs because Saturn might have been the one that killed them. It could um, have been, or it could and, have been Saturn's fault that the comet passed the direction that it did, because it's yeah. a very massive object. That's so, what I mean. And it's, yeah. it's this, I've seen this joke at least four or five separate occasions. Um, when, and it, I don't know what it is. There are other jokes that I find more funny in particular, but this particular genre of joke is probably the only one that I find hilarious every single time I encounter it. I like it. Okay. So that is my number eight. My number eight is the plane of Ravnica, not necessarily the story. Um, and, and actually a lot of the story, except for <laughs> story that doesn't happen. Um, it never did because it, it, it just, it stopped before it was supposed to, we had a giant war that never happened, but the plane of Ravnica is actually a very good framework. Um, there's a reason that the guild structure is useful. 
in terms of discussing magic and discussing everything from magic design, um, the the look to be able to have 10 distinct guilds, but still be a city plane that has wilderness around it. But I mean, it is a very well done and designed plane. Mm-hmm. I, very and, strong Melfels too. Yes. Very, yes. Like, like you say, it's, it's not just good like mechanics and story, but it's good way to put mechanics into story, into mechanics and sort of soul yeah. thing. Right, like even like at times when it's failed in some areas, you know, like something like Dragon's Maze, like at least it's it's trying to do something, and it it still is fitting within a proper, uh, like you said, a Melthos fit for that world. It didn't work necessarily from a set design for play or for you know, like there's a reason those boxes are cheap. There's not a lot of staples out of there. It does it it wasn't the best for limited. Um, it but it it still was the end of an arc and it did like the mechanics within it are mechanics that fit. And so to me, there's a reason we've returned there. There's a reason that we like there. There's a reason that you will find we've had a lot of episodes that revolved around Ravnica prior to the war of the spark. Um, there's a reason that it's a framework and the, and, and, and I think that as much as like, we like, I don't want to just keep going back to the same planes. Mm-hmm. I understand why, and and I don't think that it's shocking that we've spent as much time there as we have. No, I, I agree. That's that's a good call. I mean, and there's a reason that, um, particularly for folks who've been playing Magic a little more recently, Ravnica kind of feels like home. Ravnica sort of feels like the capital. For for folks who you know started playing back in the Dark Ages, like like you and I, it's it's Dominaria because that's where story happened for the first like what eight years of the game or something like that. But since then, since Magic first left Dominaria, Ravnica really has kind of been that center point now. And it, and I say, you know, like we when we talked um, with Spice, there was the whole idea that like even the way that we left off is we left a world that you want to return to to find out what the what the aftermath is. Yes. Even if we didn't like it, we still want to know what happened on that plane because it is a city state that that is set up to be an analog for how a guild structure works and how we have this concept of you know like guilds versus nod and everything else and there is day-to-day life on ravnica and i think that's something that we've talked about on this show and explored it's one of the most one of the best and most fleshed out worlds yes in, in magic so, that's my i actually love ravnica so there we go number eight number eight all right so my number seven i'm gonna go with nebulas um, mostly the astrological feature, um, but also shout out to the awards. So the, the um, <laughs> like, I like that. So the, the awards, there's, there's, um, and I was. Gonna so look this, is a, this, this is, all, is a yeah, this is cheat. a legitimate cheat. This is a legitimate cheat. Um, but they're both called nebulas. So I figure nebula is number seven, and I get to, I guess, also the character nebula from the Marvel universe. Why not? Also <laughs> qualifies as one as nebulas. Yeah. So the the nebula awards are a science fiction fantasy award. They're one of the big three, and I can't remember what the others. I was going to write that down, and I didn't. Um, Hugo's or the one that was recently. That's uh, yeah. Hugo is the. I was like Hugo's the one that I know. Hugo yeah. and Nebula are the two I'm thinking of because I know because like Ender's Game and I feel one. Like it's a third big one, but it, maybe I'm. Yeah, I, it, th- you know, those are the two I know. Those. I know the, the the Hugos are the one that uh, Shauna McGuire was actually um, nominated for uh, a Hugo for Magic for, Story for Magic Story. She, she did not win, but she won some other awards, which are which are great. I'm really glad to hear she won some other Hugos. But those are not the Nebulas, and and mostly the shout out to the award, but it's mostly the astrological feature. Like they're they are so cool. Um, the the Horsehead Nebula I think looks amazing. Uh, there was a recent giant telescope whose name i won't say because apparently the person they named him after was kind of a scumbag but this telescope has taken some fantastically amazing pictures um of of some nebulas that look just gorgeous they're like big giant dust clouds in space but they're so good so cool looking um and so yeah that's that's my number seven it is kind of funny because my number seven there could seem like there is a line, but I actually had this one planned uh, <laughs> like two or three ago. Yeah. Um, like it could work because there are. So so number seven for me, things I love in Magic the Gathering are full art lands. Ah. 
And, nice. you know, there were like kind of the, the nebula looking ones, the Theros constellation ones had kind of a nebula to them. Uh, for, so, you know, there could be. However, that is not where I got this. Um, I, I actually had this on. This was another one that I definitely had um, from the moment I started thinking of this list because uh, I love Full Art Lands. I always have. And I, I, I know people are talking about like, well, you know, like now it's like they're all the time. And I'm like, I still don't care. Like, I, I still love them. And different sets are good for other for different people. Um, I love the the Kamigawa ones. They are my favorite full art lands since the original full arts, if we want to call them that, from Unglued. With you know, Unglued wins out from a slight nostalgia and an annoying tap symbol uh, because <laughs> I love me a tap symbol. Uh, yep. But if you like, that was the first time Wizards had gone. You know, like it had been a place to experiment, right? Like unsets were not like everything was silver bordered except for the basics. Cause they, the basics were still the basics and they could be used. And I love them that, you know, like, and then you, we went for a long gap until we hit unglued. We got a new set of them. And those, you know, those were like truly full art. Like yes. yeah, they, they take up the whole card. Yeah. They, they, well, those still have a very tiny frame. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but still, that's okay. a, let's say, it's a thing where they, they were definitely experimenting with how much frame do we put in. And put in, yeah. And it, they put that in the silver border because that's where they did experiments. Where you could. So with. then we finally get the Zendikar ones, which are the ones that I think that, you know, were the blueprint for where we've gone with, well, yes. to have them be a more regular thing. That's where yeah. we really started seeing this. Yep. Um, but, just a normal standard set. Yep. And I think, yeah, where, you know, like, I, it, what's funny is, like, I remember drafting where i straight up just started drafting them like i i would like i love that draft set and like zen zen world wake and you know like that that was man that was that was some drafting for me and there were some archetypes that i felt very comfortable in to the point where i just started drafting full art basics because my store kept them in the back and i'm like what <laughs> like these go in every edh deck or commander deck ever um but they've been just like coming out now, but there's just so many cool different versions of them. Like the Theros ones are beautiful, but you know, like I really, really loved the, you know, it's like just seeing the different ways you can do it, making them personal to the world that they're on, uh, doing the woodblock style. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I, that's how I'm thinking of it. I know they have another name that they use for the Kamigawa ones. Um, but those lands and that frame are easily just just it is a different kind of just approach and uh actually having kind of the symbol be in japanese you know like i mean it's just it's i like those lands a lot so uh but full art lands in general is my number seven all right so that brings me to number six my number six is find it on my list stranger than fiction so this is a uh, this is a movie. Um, it is hands down without a, without question my favorite movie of all time, um, which is kind of a weird one, but that's fine because that's that's where I'm at. Um, it's a Will Ferrell movie, and there, he is a very strong flavor for for himself normally, but this movie is very different. Um, this is like him. yeah, this is like when you kind of see some of those really big comedic stars take like a yes. very different direction and, and it works and, and that's part of yeah. why i like it so much he is very much the straight man character in this he is not the key, I, mean, I don't want to say he's not where the jokes come from because he has a few sort of dry jokes that he delivers straight that are just hilarious to me but he very much is like a serious straight main character for the storyline that ridiculous things are happening to and that's kind of where the comedy is it's it's uh it's a romantic comedy where his character is, he works as an IRS uh, auditor in Chicago. And all of a sudden one day he just starts hearing a voice narrating his life. And then he's trying to figure out what's going on with this. And then the narrator, you know, says something along the lines of, you know, and this you know, seemingly minor act will lead to his imminent death. And now he starts to freak out because he thinks he's going to die because this voice that has been right about other things suddenly says that he's going to die and how it's, it's like I said, very straight character in the, in the comedic sense where he is serious and not doesn't joke. He's this just dry, very serious person. 
dealing with a, a completely ridiculous situation um, as he goes in and starts to talk to people and start to figure out what he's trying to do. And it is my favorite, well, both because of all of that, but also just from a storytelling standpoint, I really enjoy how the story is told in a very different way. Um, yeah, it's easily my favorite movie. Number six for me, flavor text. Just the pure existence of flavor text. Uh, Because, you know, like flavor text is just a bit of something on a card. And there's once again, in early magic, we learned about characters and story oftentimes through flavor text. Oh, almost entirely. Because almost exclusively. You needed folks who didn't play in the early years. Legends didn't come in until a couple years. uh, Yeah. About a year in, a couple of sets in. So the first few sets did not have legendary characters. That did not exist. No. So we just had story and ideas of story, the hints of it, you know, whether we take something like uh, Mons Goblin Raiders, you know, like we'd look at names there, but like, who's Mons? We don't know. There's allusions, but flavor text was the same way. Flavor text would oftentimes be between, you know, like to me, it's we're looking at a text box and you get a name, art, ability and then a flavor text and in in a way you have those to be able to tell a story but they're also just magic's place to have fun we've been through this a lot this brings us back to goblins um because goblins are often comedy relief or comedic relief and one of the areas that they really get to do that in is in flavor text i mean to the point where people i remember there was like a uh either a, a either um uh a Tumblr or one of those sites where people had collected like funny magic uh, flavor text. Cause there's a, there, there aren't just goblin ones, but th- there are, you know, like you got like Kamal saying like, what's so bad about a double-edged sword. It's a sword with two edges. You know, we get, you know, you get things like, even though it is squee flavor text, you get the card time warp, which has let's do it again. So it's a reference to the real world in Rocky horror picture show. Um, so you get my favorite, which is um, Floodgate, which is for me is is just the perfect encapsulation of of Milthos in every in every way. It is not my favorite card in any metric, but every metric combined together, it's probably my favorite card because yeah, yeah. it is it is a literally a wall of of timbers holding back water, and so it's a blue wall mechanically is a card. You give it flying, it blows up it dies and floods the board for doing damage to every non-flyer equals the number of half the number of violence you have but it has like in the art it has a couple of goblins running away from this wall that they clearly have just broken themselves because they're goblins and the flavor text has and i didn't pull it up so i can't remember the quote who quoted it but it had one of the goblins just saying to the other one hey quick teach me how to swim, which is funny <laughs> on its own. But then the attribution for the quote is goblin's name, comma, goblin casualty. Yeah. Which yeah. is just like... Yeah. And, and I will say that like we even like goblins, they, they, there's a couple of really, really good lists of the best flavor text of all times. Goblins are by far overrepresented. I was even just pulling, not even just on goblin cards, but as you're oh, saying, yeah. on it, things like Floodgate, on yeah. things like, you know, like, it's like goblins are, and we, this is when we talked with Spice, right? Yep. When goblins are there, they are the place to be funny in some yes. ways. Like, that's something that is yes. one as, of the elements. And as you say, I hadn't put this together. I hadn't really thought about this, but in magic in general, Silver Border, because it doesn't follow the rules, also doesn't have to follow the flavor rules. And so Silver Border, cards can tend to be more goofy on the card themselves you can have cards that make you balance stuff uh, was it form of uh rise of the but goblins like in in nor not just goblins but in normal magic you can't do that as much except for the flavor text and i will contend that this is a reason that goblins are also highly represented in unsets mm, they are the yeah. builders of contraptions like you know especially the last unset before Infinity, which is getting ready to release, where they are still a very large presence because they mm-hmm. they they do a lot of the types of things that goblins want to do. There's a goblin family that is literally like two parents and two kids, um, which 
feels kind of funny because that's me. Um, but like <laughs> they're overrepresented, and I think it's because it fits in with that goofiness in, in a way that like pulls the the silver bordered and the the black bordered together. Um, even though we can't really say silver bordered anymore, that's a rant, yeah. and that's not where I'm going. Um, so because I'm doing things I love and uh, yeah, goblins and flavor text. So flavor text in general. Nice, I like it. Flavor text, that's a good one. So that was number six. It brings me to number five. I'm going to go with Full Metal Alchemist. Um, there's there's two anime for it. Uh, Brotherhood is the better of the two anime. And then there is the manga series. And part of the reason that Brotherhood is the better anime is because it follows the manga closer. But the first one was good too. Um, the first one, basic, basically the way it worked was the anime started and before the manga was finished. And then they kind of caught up and rather than making filler like some tend to do and spending sometimes years like not advancing the story they're like we're just going to take what we have and we're basically going to fan fiction our own ending so full metal alchemist was good um i think brotherhood i like the story of brotherhood better brotherhood um or the original manga which i'm finishing now i'm actually reading the manga for the first time this year i've i've watched both anime multiple times i watched them I, I followed alchemist shortly after it came out i followed brotherhood as it was releasing i i love this franchise um but but the the manga and brotherhood the story that's followed there is a little more ensemble-y if it makes sense alchemist focus focuses more on the two brothers who are the main characters um but there's a lot more characters who kind of become important and relevant and i enjoy sort of the the community of people who do the final stuff in, in the brotherhood story. So that one is, is my favorite there. Okay. Number five. Yes. Solemn simulacrum. Yep. Yeah. I see the means to make a bunch of them. I, I like solemn simulacrum. I I've said this on the show and you know, this isn't a shock. I still will play solemn. Even if you know, it, it to me is the epitome of why I started playing EDH. Um, outside of the, like I played because I liked it because there were, I could I had cards that I only had one of. But when I started playing where I wanted to be like, what are some cards I want to play in every single deck? A colorless 2-2 that gets you a land that can fix colors and draws you a card if they die. Like, I don't know. There's just simplicity in that to me. And it's solemn, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's sad. It's a robot. Uh <laughs> But I just like, I love the card. I love that that is, you know, to me, it's funny to think about the idea like, uh, you know, this is one of the, this was a player designed card. Uh, it was an invitational card. So people don't know back in the day, um, players won events. They got to design cards. Um, yep. Some of these have been quite famous. Snapcaster Mage, uh, mm -hmm. Shadow Mage Infiltrator was another uh designed yeah. one for finkel like there there are great cards out there i mean there's a lot of them i mean i'm just choosing yeah. some examples but solemn is just solid right it was a four yeah. four for two ramped and drew a card and i that's like that's what i like doing like yeah, yeah. and and yeah. like then like i said as you joked like i could then clone it a bunch of times and like just make it, the fact that I have a deck that that keeps solemn count because that's really what I enjoy doing. Yes. So well, it's, solemn it's simulacrum makes me happy. That's fun, and and that colorless is a is a good thing, especially early on. If a if you're just building a uh, a pool of cards, or early on in the format when it was new and everyone was kind of discovering what they could do with it. Having the, having some of those nice colorless staples was a good place to to be because you could put together like I did a green white crond of oh, I can't remember what it's called <laughs> um, deck which is this big guy if it's enchanted when it attacks you exile a creature or something <laughs> I thought it was cool and yeah I played that deck for like one game yeah apart. and it's like but. You know, all of the mana rocks, all the colorless stuff, if I had a solemn for that, which I don't think I did when I, I built that. But it's like, um, those are useful, not just to buy them in bulk and put them in multiple decks, but then when you take that deck apart, it's a card you can keep using. Well, I think that's it. Like, they, they were also in that list of, like, this was before. I, I mean, like, you could get lots of copies of them. Like, they weren't yeah. prohibitive. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, and it makes sense. 
and that's a card that didn't get a lot of you know wouldn't have gotten much standard play maybe it got a little bit but it's like as that's a card that wouldn't be expensive and that was like the whole point maybe not the point but one of the great things about a format like commander is that it lets you play cards that aren't really useful in other places that you don't get to play in other places um you get to and and that's one of the things that i loved about the format when i started i, I started playing standard when i came back to magic i well, then i went and played a bunch of draft but one of the things i loved about drafting and playing commander specifically there's a stretch where i did a lot of both was i got to use like these cards that were you know wildly different different circumstances if you're playing standard most of the cards out of the booster pack you don't care about there's a handful you draft you care about every card that's in that booster pack you may not take them you may not play them all but you flip through all 15 and you're really looking at them. all those commons and uncommons are really important to you and then commander offers a situation where you're doing something similar it's it's like i talk a lot about my my zada the hedron grinder deck but because of the way the mechanics that Zada, Zada has, I care about very different cards than most people do in Commander. And I just, I love that. I'm passing it back over to you before you like right. still potentially I, other stuff or yeah, topics. Before I go any further. And that's our show for today. You can find both of the hosts on Twitter. Hobbs can be found at HobbsQ. And Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, to our link tree on our Twitter account and list it in our show notes. This has everything from our discounts for the Grinding Coffee Company to our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vindergotten. You can be found at Vindergotten at BadCamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs> <laughs>